0: It is the latent show, Steve in for Henry. Boy, some tough topics tonight. Um we we got into the state budget. Uh budget surplus announced uh, story at wccradio.com dot com. And then uh we got Blois Olson's thoughts on that. That is available. Um at wccradio dot uh, com and you know, what to do going forward with the surplus. And did they give enough back to the taxpayers and all taxpayers? And a follow-up to that, I want to read a text we got uh, 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 about that topic. And the the text coming up to the budget, budget surplus, who got money back, who didn't, and, and going forward, should everyone get a taste of that money? And the text, and I want to share it. Steve, do you know anyone who lives check to check? Um, and uh, before that check came, the working poor uh, go to the dentist, struggle to pay their increasing heat bills in the winter. Just imagine what 500, do, 500 bucks does to help them now compared to what $500 means to you. There is no comparison. I'm not a rich man. No doubt I have a real job full- time job during the week do some moonlighting and radio do some games my My wife works for a school district um, in the technology area we're working folks we're not rich i I know what you're saying, however, but to sum up that if there is a surplus, shouldn't all taxpayers get some money back that that that's all I'm bringing up. Point well taken, uh, for sure. Uh, $500 certainly would mean more to a struggling individual or a struggling family than it would be to a millionaire with lakefront property on Minnetonka. I, I, I get it. But shouldn't we all share when there is a surplus and when there's extra? Bringing it up in hour number one. Then of course President Biden spoke about more money uh and more support for Israel and Ukraine and sending that the way of Congress uh in the seven o'clock hour. Here we're gonna visit uh one of my favorite topics, always has been since I was a little kid, and uh Neil Armstrong took that step on the moon in nineteen sixty nine, July nineteen sixty nine. I've been a fan uh, ever since of human space flight. And Mike Wall joins us from space.com. Mike, it's been a while. I hope you're doing well.
1: Yep, yep, doing good. How are you?
0: Yeah, good to visit with you. Thanks so much for joining us on this October night. And uh there there is a lot going on. And and the one thing we can say is uh in the space flight category at the website space.com uh, th- there is always a lot about SpaceX, and rightfully so. Say what you want about Elon Musk, but uh, SpaceX has been an innovator like we've never seen. And th- they they continue to do great things, tremendous engineering achievements. And they want to do more and more and more. And the launch schedule, you did a piece a, a day ago, uh, 144 missions. Next year that is unbelievable
1: <laughs> yeah that's that 's what they 're going to shoot for they're, they're still going to try to get to a hundred this year, they said, which wow. they 're at like seventy four now, which works out to about one every four days, and to get to a hundred they 'd need one every two point eight days from here on out or something but yeah it is it's pretty remarkable you know they we haven 't seen anything like this kind of launch cadence from one, like, organization, you know, let alone, like, a yeah. private company before. So, they, they are, yeah, I mean, they are remarkable.
0: Yeah, and it is one of those things where uh, occasionally, as a fan of this and, and someone who follows it uh, day in and day out like you do, the, their achievements are extraordinary. It wasn't that long ago that the idea of reusing any part of a spacecraft, it, it just didn't happen. Um, it, it was inconceivable and and now it's commonplace for a falcon 9 to launch a good portion the first stage returns to earth a capsules that carry human beings into outer space to the international space station or elsewhere in lower earth orbit uh are, are reused again that that is uncharted territory not that long ago
1: yeah yeah and they they yeah they are making that pretty routine you know they've um They've flown two different Falcon 9 first stages on. they their their sort of reuse record. They've set twice now, 17 flights for one individual rocket, um, and that's really that helps explain how they've made this this great advance. You know about the launch cadence and like bringing launch price down to attract more customers. You know because that's the most expensive part of the rocket is the first stage, the one that helps it get off the ground. And if you can, yeah, if you can fly those like a dozen times or more a piece, you can fly faster and you can fly cheaper, and that's that's really the kind of secret sauce that they that they have shown the world that they that that, that they possess.
0: And they continue to use many of these launches to build their their Starlink constellation, which is low-level satellites that uh, bring internet uh, all over the world. We we heard and talked a lot about ukraine on the program tonight president biden spoke about it a little over an hour ago and more aid for ukraine but the those starlink satellites have have been uh crucial uh for communications in that part of the world
1: yeah and that and that is that's like the bulk of the of the mass that they're putting up with all these launches for the past few years has been starlink like i think like a rough tally it's about 60% of of all their launches so far this year have been dedicated to kind of building out the Starlink mega constellation. There's about 5,000 Starlink satellites up there now, which is outrageous and um but they're they're going to keep building it, you know. They they like they've got approval to have 12,000 Starlink satellites in their initial constellation mm-hmm. and they've got paperwork filed to have like up to 40,000. So it's it's pretty crazy. It's that that's a lot of satellites.
0: Now, now, I've heard the, the, this, Mike, and, and maybe you can help me out here, but I have heard more than once that the idea of Starlink is to build this business and that there is demand for uh, super-fast internet wherever you are, if you're in the woods of northern Minnesota or wherever you are, um, or for that matter, in the Twin Cities or the Bay Area or Southern California, uh, to get internet a different way from from satellites, but... Ultimately, the the revenue from that would be used to fund this idea that ultimately SpaceX wants to get to Mars and and settle Mars. It, it, does does that sound yeah.
1: about right? Yeah, that that's something. yeah, I mean back when when they announced Starlink a few years ago, um, that was something Elon Musk made very clear. He said, you know, we're we're starting this. This whole satellite thing with the, with, with the Internet constellation we plan to build, you know, we, we do want to help people in rural areas and people who don't have access to any other kind of Internet. But we also, I mean, it's not just a charity play, obviously. I mean, Elon Musk said at the very beginning that he sees Starlink as the main kind of funding driver for Mars settlements, which has been his long-held dream, you know, that he said many times. That's why he founded SpaceX about 20 years ago, was to try to make... Yeah, and make our species multiplanetary. He he, like, still says that today. He he, obviously believes very strongly in that. And so, yeah, I mean, he they they need a lot of money to develop the vehicle that they think is going to help them do that. Get get us to Mars and that Starship. Um, and so, yeah, he he has said from the beginning that that you know Starlink is the funding vehicle via which they can develop Starship, um, which they are trying to do now. And they've had one had one flight of it. People probably remember back in April. Um, and they're, they're gearing up for a second flight, which they hope to launch pretty soon.
0: Yeah, the one in April didn't go particularly well from an outside observer, but they did learn a lot. And uh, the government, FAA, et cetera, made recommendations, pad improvements. They've been working on that. And you get the sense that here in the fourth quarter of 2023, we may see another launch. But there's a long way to go before the system is operational and then beyond that. Uh, humans ever flying on that rocket?
1: Yeah, and it is. I mean, it's it's going to take dozens of flights, like if not hundreds of flights, without people on board before we can sort of risk putting a person on a new rocket. Um, and they 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 do have a bit of a time crunch because you know NASA actually picked Starship as the first moonlander for its Artemis program, and so the the current plan is to use Starship to get. Yeah, to to put, to put astronauts down near the lunar south pole on the Artemis 3 mission, which NASA wants to launch in, like, late 2025 or 2026. And it's really unclear if Starship is going to be ready for that timeline. You know, I mean, it still hasn't flown successfully on an uncrewed test flight, let alone carried people anywhere. So, yeah, I mean, I would never doubt that SpaceX is capable of doing it. But you just don't know if the timeline is going to work out for 2025 moon landing we'll just have to wait and see
0: mike wall joining us on the john schuster coldwell banker hotline mike writes for space.com and always good to visit with him um let's let's get back to starship and where they are Uh, there are thoughts that it could happen yet this fall they could actually try it again and see if they can reach orbit
1: yeah no they've They've said that they're they're technically ready. You know, there yeah there was like a Senate hearing yesterday, like about commercial human space flight and what the regulations should be, and that, yeah, and there was a SpaceX representative who who testified during that hearing, and yeah, he said that this like second Starship that they've built and, uh, has been ready to go from a technical standpoint for more than a month, but they're still waiting on a launch license from the Federal Aviation Administration, and you know there has been. It's pretty clear that SpaceX is is frustrated by the fact they don't have that license yet. I mean, Elon Musk has done a lot of tweeting about how they're ready to go and that we need to kind of streamline regulations, and it's a shame to have to wait wait around for environmental reviews to be done and all this. And so it's a little bit of a pressure campaign, it seems like, to try to get the FAA to work faster. Um, but, But the FAA has, I mean, like the first Starship launch was detonated on purpose because things went wrong it rained debris down on the on a big area like around the, the south texas launch pad it like destroyed part of the launch pad um and yeah so you know there there are things to consider when you're granting a launch license and you have to consider wildlife and, and like the human community around that south texas launch site there are boxes that you do need to to check in in the current regulatory environment and so they 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 did tell SpaceX, you know, after these things went wrong on the April test flight, you need to do this and this and this to make sure that it doesn't happen again. And, yeah, that's just part of the deal. Um, but yeah, we, we'll see. We'll see if, if the FAA does does grant a license. Like, apparently one thing that's also needs to happen is the Fish and Wildlife Service needs to to kind of wrap up an environmental review of what the impacts of Starship launches could be on the on the ecosystem in south texas there it's, it's right on the Gulf of mexico it's very biodiverse um yeah. and you know a lot of people who are spaceflight fans would want to poo-poo those concerns just be like we shouldn't let that sit in the way of progress but but you know that that is a concern you can't just like under our current kind, kind of legal system regulatory system you can't just go out willy-nilly and, and, and hurt endangered species. There's, there's laws against that. So it is it is unclear when those regulations or are, are sort of when those those permits are going to come through, but, but SpaceX wants them to come through sooner rather than later. That's that's pretty obvious.
0: And, and you would think, once they get some of the things figured out on the ground and maybe mitigate the impact on the environment around as much as they can, etc., it, it seems as though they're poised to move relatively quickly, that they're they're building the engines the raptor engine the brand new engine uh it, it's not like the engine that's flying on the falcon 9 right now that we're so familiar with but mm-hmm. the, the the super heavy booster and the starship i mean they they're starting to crank these out so to speak
1: oh yeah they they've got they've got three or four other starships sort of not necessarily ready to go, but in the pipeline. After this one, that's going to sure. fly, this next flight, they're they're already building like the third one, the fourth one, the fifth one. So those still need to be tested. You know, they got to do engine tests and 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 yeah, then kind of like propellant fill tests to make sure the tanks are all structurally sound and all, all that stuff you have to do with the rocket. But they have built those vehicles and they're sort of in the pipeline. And yeah, that it's I I'm very sure that once they get those those regulatory boxes checked, they will move quickly because that's SpaceX's MO. You know, they 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 always say they don't really I mean if it fails during a test flight, that's fine because they'll learn from it. So they'll their their whole MO is to fly fast and to learn from the mistakes and, and yeah like and then to actually iterate based on the analyses of what, what went wrong in those flights. So they will they will fly again and if it blows up again then they'll fix what happened this time and come back to the pad with the next one as soon as they can and try again so that's just in their dna
0: if you've ever seen a rocket launch in person and i had a chance to see columbia once upon a time launch from kennedy space center uh pre-dawn launch it was very cool my my kids were young but they still remember it um it's no joke i You get the sense there's nothing routine. Even as routine as the Falcon 9 launches, they've they've had many uh, successful launches of human beings aboard their Dragon capsule. They've returned safely to Earth. This, This is still, and we shouldn't become complacent, and I'm sure the challenge for them is, it's still very dangerous.
1: Yeah. And they, I'm, I'm sure they tell themselves all the time, you know, they, they've had so much success with the Falcon nine. They, they haven't had an accident with the Falcon nine in years at this point. Right. Knock on wood. Um, right. It's so reliable, but, but Starship is uh, entirely different design. Uh, yeah. As you were talking, you know, it's a different engine called the Raptor, which is, which is more powerful than, than the engines that are on the Falcon nine or the Falcon heavy. And it is this it's an order of magnitude, like more powerful. It's, it's, it's more than twice as powerful as the Falcon Heavy. It's more. It's it's about three times more powerful than the Falcon Heavy. Actually, it's about twice as powerful as the Space Launch System, which is which is NASA's new the, their new Moon rocket they're they're using for the Artemis program. It's the biggest, most powerful rocket ever built. So um yeah. So you, you have to be extra careful with that. It's new. It's a new design, and it's just of unprecedented thrust and power. Um. So yeah, you've got to make sure that everything is yeah, yeah is in order with that like yeah i mean before it gets certified to carry people and that's that's probably part of the reason why the environmental review and the and the launch license stuff is taking so long because you know it those those like raptor engines 33 of them on the first stage of starship they didn't do a lot of damage to the launch pad they actually did on that first flight they destroyed the concrete underneath the launch pad and sent chunks of it raining down into the ocean and it was just quite a spectacle. It's just a reminder that these things are no joke. There's a lot of energy involved, and with Starship, if if something does go wrong, it's gonna be it's gonna rain down a lot of stuff over a wide area.
0: So we will keep our fingers crossed on that. But we certainly do enjoy your work, Mike, and uh, it's good to visit with you. Thanks so much for the time. Anything big beyond waiting for? Uh, starship and another launch potentially before the end of the year. Anything else worth watching?
1: Yeah, there, there's always a lot of stuff going on. You know, it's, I mean, with space exploration on the robotic side especially, you have to be patient. But, you know, one SpaceX mission that launched last week was called Psyche. It it actually flew on oh, sure. a Falcon Heavy. It's a NASA mission to explore this weird big metal asteroid out in the asteroid belt um and and actually scientists think this thing is like the exposed core of like an ancient protoplanet so like the types of bodies that came together to build earth and and mars and and venus long ago and so there's they've never seen like an object like this up close it can they can tell from kind of long distance studies of it with earth-based telescopes that it's mostly metal on the surface and so it's just this bizarre body that's like 170 miles wide that we're going to get a look at thanks to Psyche. But you've got to be patient. It's not going to get there until 2029. So that okay. that just launched, That just launched, and it's really cool. But, yeah, mark your calendar for the middle of 2029 when it actually gets there.
0: Yeah, and they, they say that th- this, this thing could not only be iron, but things exotic like platinum, et cetera. It's really, really interesting. And, and one of the dreams, ultimately, of exploring you know, asteroids in the planet is being able to go and And mine the stuff,
1: yeah, yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what the metals are they they think it's a lot of iron and a lot of nickel, but there sure. could be a lot of more exotic weird stuff there, and just from a G whiz standpoint, you know it's like what do kind of craters on a metal world look like? There's some people who think that you know there'll be like it'll look like little like just like when when there was an impact that crashed into into psyche, it made the metal molten, and so what what the crater looks like it's just like kind of frozen metal kind of extending from a crater you know and like kind of kind of like a water droplet that freezes really fast you know how how it disturbs the like yeah like the surface of a pond um it's just it's exotic it's it's really weird there's going to be a lot of scientific cool stuff to come from it and that's just yeah there's 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 a lot of fun stuff about space exploration and seeing a world that we've never seen before is is definitely one of them
0: well mike good to visit with you take care
1: Yep, thanks. Good to talk
0: to you. Mike Wall joining us. Space.com is the website, and we will come back in a moment. Steve Thompson in for Henry Lake. It is the Lake Show here on a Thursday night. News Talk, e O W wcco Wow, busy show tonight, the Lake Show. Uh, opening hour, We we talked a lot about the latest budget surplus. You can read about that online at com. President Biden spoke about helping Israel and Ukraine, funds for Israel and Ukraine, and putting that forward to Congress and made the case. And we appreciate your comments on that. Mike Wall from Space.com. And then coming up, uh, a guy I've known for a number of years now, Matthew Roderick. Uh, he had a son paralyzed in an accident, and he has been very active. Executive Director... For Unite to Fight Paralysis, a nonprofit that represents the voice of people living with SCI, including their families, caregivers, and loved ones, and uh, hosting its 18th Annual Science and Advocacy Symposium here in the Twin Cities uh, tomorrow and Saturday. And we'll, we'll get into that uh, with Matthew coming up here in a few minutes following the weather. News Talk, 830-WCCO-MLB, American League and National League Championship Series front and center. Arizona beat Philly 2-1. to one. Diamondbacks walked them off. Philly's still up 2-1 in that series. Houston and Texas tied at three in the fourth. Rangers lead that series two games to one. So, League Championship Series march forward. Uh, the Wild, they are idle tonight. Uh, the Wild got a win over the Canadians on Tuesday uh, final 5-2, to two. and uh, right now they're taking on the LA Kings and down 4-2 to two in that one. And then uh, they get Columbus on Saturday. Timberwolves still in preseason mode. Bikes don't play until Monday. Gophers at Iowa on Saturday. We'll have the weather in a moment. Thanks so much for joining us here on News Talk, three O W wcco Steve Thompson in for Henry Lake. Jonathan Lowe is our producer, and th- this is a topic that that uh, is very close to me. And we we're talking about spinal cord injuries. And uh, once upon a time, my daughter was injured in an accident. Injured her spinal cord has been paralyzed. Uh, Doing well, graduated from college, got her master's degree, has a full-time job, but uh, in a chair and still living with paralysis. And the hope is one day that uh, there there will be a remedy, and maybe she'll get out of that chair someday. I I certainly do hold out hope. And, And a man, similar circumstances, Matthew Roderick, executive director for Unite to Fight Paralysis, joins me on the line, and Matthew, good to visit with you. It's been a
2: while. Uh, it has been a while. Good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, and I, uh, how, how's Gabe doing? How are you doing?
2: Uh, I'm doing well. Gabriel is as well. Um, you know, not unlike your daughter. It's been, uh, it's been 15 years now. Wow. Uh, Gabe's still paralyzed, but he has uh, progressed. He's a musician in town, uh, quite prolific. Recorded a lot of albums um, performed a lot of gigs toward most of the country uh doing quite well, but you know still still at it working to uh, pursue that remedy to restore function to his paralyzed body for yeah. sure
0: and and it's and it's something that you've really taken on, and I admire what you've done uh to to move this cause forward.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we've been working hard. Um, and, uh, you know, thanks for having me on this weekend, actually starting this evening. Uh, we have folks coming from all over the U.S. and Canada. Uh, there'll be folks tuning in from around the world to a symposium, a scientific meeting that we host. Uh, we move it around the country. This year it happens to be here in Minneapolis, our home turf. Uh, where we have scientists, clinicians, biotech, device companies all coming to share uh, advances in the research. And uh, most of it is from the perspective of folks like us, you know, like our kids and us as parents, uh, we curate the meeting, we moderate the meeting, and it's really focused on bringing our voice to all those other folks uh, that are bringing their genius and effort and money uh, to try to move restorative therapies to our community
0: and, and, and so there that's are ser- this weekend yeah and and l- l- let 's talk about some of the things that have been accomplished so far, and it 's a long list we We have limited time, but um, minnesota 's moved to the forefront of this, and when when you you got a hold of me earlier in the week and I, I looked at the release, and it's like, wow, progress has been made. Money's been raised, and Minnesota continues to move forward. Uh, Mayo Clinic, other healthcare organizations are are really out in front on this.
2: Yeah, it's it's pretty exciting. Um, you know, again, you know, we haven't cured it yet, so I mean, yeah. it's exciting with uh, with a pause, right? I mean, we're both parents of kids with spinal cord injuries, so. The the real excitement comes when we can help our kids to, you know, increase their quality of life and, you know, potentially restore some function for them. But given all that, yes, um, you know, I I led the effort uh, in 2015 to pass the first ever research funding bill here in Minnesota for a million dollars. And it was so successful two years later that uh, the legislature increased it to six million And it's been running ever since. And it has really helped to catalyze a number of areas in Minnesota that have pushed it forward. And this weekend, we'll be featuring a lot of that, uh, you know, a lot of focus on uh, neuromodulation, which is using spinal cord stimulation. There were some really novel projects that came out of Minnesota uh, that have really influenced the rest of the field. And a lot of those people are going to be here this weekend as a result. Uh, We took that on the road, and we since have passed similar bills in the state of Pennsylvania, Ohio, Washington. Uh, We have a bill in Wisconsin that uh, really is right on the crest of passage, uh, we hope, next week uh, for another 3000000 million. We've generated over $31 million to this area of research in the last few years. Uh, all with the focus on putting people like us and people like our kids at the table, working with researchers and, and decision-makers to prioritize, hey, this is the kind of stuff that we want and need. Let's make it happen. And Minnesota's really, uh, as a result, become a leader in this space. Uh, as, and it's, been, it's been exciting to see.
0: Yeah, and Matthew, I think one of the things anybody involved – or anyone who knows someone with a spinal cord injury, it always gets back to whether you're a paraplegic or, or a quadriplegic or know someone in that circumstance. Where I, I think some people that aren't connected would say, well, getting out of the wheelchair, you know, being able to walk again. <laughs> sure, that, right. that's great. Right. But even incremental improvement, hand function, bladder, bowel, uh, yeah. more trunk Sexual control. Portion. Yeah, yeah. A- any of this incremental yeah. improvement would be huge for someone living with a spinal cord injury.
2: Yeah, and of course, I mean, as you know, you know, you've lived through it like I have, and with your kid, and uh, you know, I I don't begrudge anyone who doesn't understand. They see the wheelchair, sure. and you hear that you're paralyzed, and they're like, "Oh, you can't walk. You have to be in that wheelchair." But you don't realize that that's just one. One facet of a really terrible injury, you know, losing control of so many functions of your body or the dysregulation of so many functions. And so, absolutely, the ability to restore uh, the use and sensation and control of basic bodily functions that become so disruptive to a normal life. If we can change that, uh, change the rubric for that, and that, that's kind of one of the things that's happening and has happened as a result of this funding and the community of people like us who can tell that story and say, look, um, you know, we, could take, we could use, you know, your 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 daughter and my son, you know, quadriplegic, if my son could gain back a little function in his hands, that would change his life like your daughter's. Um, you know, radically change his life and reduce the cost burden of so many people with this disability um, is extraordinary. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that's part of, I think, in the DNA of what we do is to bring our, the voice of our community into all these corners and remind them what it's like to live with the injury, what matters, what is meaningful for our community, not just in the abstract scientific sense, or, um, you know, in our community, a, we call it inspiration porn, you know, people sort of, uh, people in wheelchairs or with a disability doing inspiring things, right, that are maybe just what anybody normally would do, right, and that gets, that gets treated a lot, uh, particularly in the media, and I think our effort is to sort of dispel all that and bring the real voice of the community into the mix and say, this is what matters. And I think that's starting to change a little bit in the landscape.
0: Matt Roderick joining us. Uh, He is executive director of uh, the organization Unite to Fight Paralysis, and a big big meeting this weekend. We'll have details on that momentarily. Before we run out of time, I, I kind of thought about this during COVID, that, that there seemed to be momentum. And right after Aaron got hurt, what, 14 years ago, it was kind of like, okay, they're working on this, they're doing that, and there's things going on here and there and in Europe and around the world and so on and so forth. And then COVID hit, and the world kind of stopped. Hey, d- does work continue not only here? We talked about um, all the healthcare organizations that that are still working very hard, the U, Courage Kenny, uh Mayo. Uh, regions, uh, the, the, there's a lot going on here in Minnesota. Is is there still a lot going on around the country, around the world on this issue?
2: Yes, absolutely. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of work being done, um, and there are some incremental advances happening in the in the research science. I think the real key, kind of like what I was saying a few minutes ago, is is yeah. the real key is all those players have to align their targets, they're, they're, the way they define a win, right? If I'm a research scientist at a university, I'm a doctor at a hospital, I'm a person with a spinal cord injury, I'm an investor in a company, uh, I'm a funder of science, whether it's at government or private, It's the key is to listen all to one another and realize we have to align our targets. That's the only way we're going to win. And that's the thing that's changing in our field and in our space. And I think in many ways, the spinal cord injury community in particular is kind of at the vanguard of this, where the the idea of, like, you can't just discover something and throw it in, you know, like throw it up into the air and somebody's going to take it. Everybody has to line up behind it and kind of share their version of what it is in order for it to be successful. That's what we're trying to do.
0: All right, uh, talk about this weekend, kind of give us who, what, why, where, when, how uh, How people can get involved if they'd like to uh, learn more.
2: Sure. Well, the first one right there is you can go to our website, which is u2fp.org, letter U, the number two, F as in Frank, P as in Peter.org. You can find out all the stuff you need. But all the players that you mentioned, uh, folks from the Mayo Clinic, University of Minnesota, Regions, Gillette, um uh, courage Kenny, Alina, uh they will all be here, as well as representatives from Medtronic and Abbott and uh, a number of small biotech companies, the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation, um Praxis Institute in Canada. All these different players are coming here this weekend, many of whom are already here, um greeting one another. And we'll have a number of presentations tomorrow and Saturday very discursive, a lot of discussion um, in our scientific meeting. That's also focused on advocacy. There's a lot of people with spinal cord injuries. We're here at the downtown Hilton, actually right across the street from CCO. um, And we're looking for a kind of action packed two days. And you can go to our website and look at our symposium agenda, see all the different people that are here um, and find out how to get involved. And of course, you know, if anybody wants to support the work we do, we would be exceedingly grateful. <laughs> All right.
0: thank Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, uh, good luck. I-, I know you put a lot of work into it. Thank you.
2: Thanks, Steve. Really appreciate uh, the invite to come on and talk about it. Best of love to your family.
0: Yeah, thanks so much. There he is, Matthew Roderick, Executive Director. Unite to Fight Paralysis. And once again, uh, the website is... You to the number two FP.org. Check it out. Nine minutes now in front of nine here at News Talk. 830 WCCO. All the news, all the weather at nine, and then uh, much more from CBS News. Uh, President Biden's comments, we carried those live at seven o'clock tonight, uh, asking for more aid for Israel and Ukraine. He'll send that to Congress. First order of business is uh, the House finding a speaker so they can move bills forward or a way to move bills forward. But uh, Israel waiting on more aid. Ukraine waiting on more aid. And the president made that certainly a priority tonight. And, of course, plenty more on that online, com. Or on the Odyssey app. Highlights from all our shows available at wccradio.com uh, First hour, we talked about uh, the latest news. Good news for sure. There is another budget surplus that uh, we will sort out and get a better idea. Uh, once again, uh, interesting times. Uh, more money flowing into state coffers and how they'll spend that or what will be done with it will certainly be up for debate. And then, of course, in the 7 o'clock hour, uh, President Biden's comments on more aid for Israel and Ukraine. 8 o'clock hour, MikeWallspace.com. Then Matthew Roderick uh, talking about uh, the big uh, paralysis symposium from Unite to Fight uh, Paralysis. Big thanks to Jonathan Lowe. Great work, as always. And we will visit with you again. Henry has another night on Friday night. Uh, here on news talk e three o w c c o